liked using that time period as the backdrop because it's, it's, it's a character in and of itself. Hello and welcome to History Through Fiction, the podcast. I'm your host, Colin Mustful, and today I am happy to be joined by Lindsay Farah, debut author of the historical novel Muskets and Minuets. So I went into querying with an open mind, thinking like, all right, you're going to be able to like wallpaper your house with rejection letters. Just get ready for it. A born and bred New Englander, Lindsay Farah hails from the North Shore of Boston. She is a member of the Topsfield Historical Society and the Historical Novel Society. She forged her love for writing with her intrigue for colonial America by writing her debut novel, Muskets and Minuets. When she's not attending historical reenactments or sprouting off facts about Boston, she's nursing patients back to health in the ICU. Well, I want to start with uh, Deborah Sampson, a historical figure that I believe your main character is based off of, um, mm-hmm. or at least inspired by. Can yes. you tell us uh, who Deborah Sampson was and, and and why she's important to this novel? Yeah, absolutely. So Deborah Sampson is, um, or was, a woman, young woman, who uh, fought in the Revolutionary War. I believe she fought in 1781. Um, she dressed up like a man. Um, apparently some reports of her, uh, she was pretty believable as a man. She was tall for a woman, um, at that time. Um, and I guess, you know, she wasn't the most attractive looking lady, but, um, so she, she passed fairly easily for, um, a gentleman and, uh, she joined, um, the military and she fought and, um, she was actually, um, discovered because she was shot, I believe, in her thigh, I read. Um, and she couldn't really hide her identity um, at that point. But I, I want to say that she did end up removing that musket ball herself before, but it might have gotten infected. There's some um, some research there on, on her. Um, I'm trying to remember <laughs> what I read. But yeah, so I, I was just fascinated with that. And she actually ended up being honorably discharged from the uh, military, and she received pay afterwards, um, which was pretty much unheard of, uh, for a woman. So I was very fascinated by her story and very interested in the idea of, you know, a woman masquerading as a man in the military and what that would look like. And maybe there were lots of other women who did do that. Maybe it wasn't so uncommon. We just don't know who they were. We don't know, you know, much about other women perhaps. Yeah, that, that is incredible and fascinating. And and it really makes you think about what was her life like? What inspired her to mm-hmm. go to those lengths? Right. Um, is that why um, you created uh, your character for Muskets and Minuets, Annalisa? 
Yes. So I wanted to have um, a girl at the brink of womanhood. So she's she starts the novel. I believe she's 13, uh, maybe 14 years old. Maybe she's 14. And, um, you know, she's she's coming into her womanhood um, and doesn't really like, you know, society. Uh, when I went to Williamsburg, um, they described the 18th century as like being in the eighth grade on steroids, which I thought that was a really fascinating way to put it. People are just judging you about everything. And she, my character is not a huge fan of this. She lives sort of in her older sister's shadow. She's not as beautiful as her older sister. Um, I decided to make her very tall for her, um, for her sex, you know, um, women weren't, you know, super tall back then, but I, I thought I would kind of err on the Deborah Sampson side, you know, make her a little bit more believable, um, when she's dressed as a man. Um, and she's just not really, she's interested in the politics of the day. She's interested in what the Sons of Liberty are doing. She's not interested in learning how to dance a minuet or, um, an alamond or, you know, any of those other dances that, you know, you have to, to do well in order to maybe marry advantageously. You know, you have to be a well-rounded, accomplished woman to marry above your station. Um, and she's just not interested in that. Yeah. Which I think, you know, at that, throughout history, unfortunately, women didn't have much of a choice. They had one Mm -hmm. path and that's kind of the direction they had to go. So I think it's wonderful to, you know, work with a character like this who says, says no to that, despite what her place in society might have been. And it certainly seems like uh, a good place for, for a novel to kind of imagine that, that conflict she had within her and the struggle she she had during that time period and such a you know right before the revolutionary war um i can only imagine and and mm-hmm. that must have been fun for you to to recreate absolutely i i liked using that time period as the backdrop because it's 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 a character in and of itself you know she's coming of age and our nation is coming of age almost you know where it's um those growing pains and the struggles that, that you experience, you know, um, when you're, you know, going through puberty and adolescence, you know, is almost, um, mirrored in sort of the growing pains that the colonists of Boston were feeling at the time, um, and getting to the point where, Hey, you know, we just don't want to be a part of England anymore. Um, and that being sort of the culmination of, you know, sort of the second part of the book where it goes into 1775 and you have those first battles, against the British in uh, Lexington and Concord and Bunker Hill. I love that analogy. Um, did did you just, did you have that in mind before uh, writing this novel or did it just kind of happen naturally? You know, uh, the birth of this novel came about in a very strange way. I was 16 when I started writing it. So I said I was 34. It, you can do the math. <laughs> it's been a long time that I've sort of uh, been writing this novel on and off over the past several years. Um, so I think when I first started it, um, that wasn't really my idea, but the more I started writing it, the more it fit together, those mm-hmm. two sort of coming of age and, you know, the growing pains of, you know, early America, if you will. Well, I, I want to ask you more about the length of time it took you to finish this novel, but <laughs> sure. Uh, before I do, 
I am curious about what other historical people or events um, are you able to mix into the novel other than just the, you know, the story of Deborah Sampson? Yeah, yeah, sure. So um, you'll see cameos from uh, John Adams. Um, You'll see a cameo of um, Dr. Warren, prominent figures um, in Boston at the time, Sam Adams. He's also, you know, got a little bit of a cameo there. Um, And... Uh, Abigail Adams, she has like one scene, um, a short little scene there. So um, I, I kind of didn't want to focus a lot on actual historical figures because you can get a little bit hairy there um, mm-hmm. in a historical light, I think. You know, you don't want to paint anybody too unflattering or, or too, you know, off the mark. If, you know, we don't really, we have primary sources of of what they've written, but we don't really know what they were like as people, I guess. Um so writing them is is a little bit tricky. Um, so I kind of wanted to make my my fictional characters at the foreground. Well, that's a good point for any historical novelist mm-hmm. about how far do they really want to go into the past, right? Um, versus that creative freedom that that they have, right? Um, exactly. I I have you know a lot of events, you know that actually happened. Um, in the book, like the, the tea party and the Boston massacre. I, I wanted to write those because I wanted to sort of paint a picture of, you know, what it was like to actually be there. We have this romanticized idea of what those events were. I think, um, when you learn about them in American history, um, and the more research I did, the more I, I was just, I really was compelled to try to show that, you know, through the eyes of my characters and how, um, confusing and overwhelming those events probably were. Definitely. And I think that's, that's important. And that's what historical fiction does is it, it kind of brings mm-hmm. to life some of these events or sheds new, new light on them. Right. So it's, it's important that we have not just the nonfiction, but the fiction as well mm-hmm. and exposes, right. of course, the, the people and not just the events. Right. So you live or you're from Boston. Um, Tell me about living in New England and and how that has interested you in these historical events. Yeah. um, So I'm from a a small town north of Boston called Topsfield. And um, I grew up sort of in this like historical shadow. My town is really old. I think it was founded in 1650 um, or was incorporated in 1650. It has a pretty... long history. There's, you know, witch trials. Um, a couple of people were hanged from my town, you know, were accused as witches. Um, so it was always something there growing up. Um, you know, we have a really old house in town, um, that's used as a museum. It's, um, a, one of the finer examples of uh, 17th century architecture in America. So, um, I was really lucky to grow up really close to that. It's the Parson Capon house. So it, it's always been, something that I've been aware of and that I've been interested in just because of where I lived. Um, and, you know, Topsfield is really close to Danvers and Salem, which, um, you know, are, are famous uh, for the witch trials and whatnot. So, um, and of course, Boston. Um, so it was just always something in my life that has interested me just because of where I live. Um, and I, I kind of just was inspired by the area and, and, thought, well, maybe I could, I wonder what the people were like who lived here back then. You know, I, I don't have any, um, 
like my family doesn't, you know, span generations back in the town. Um, but I do have, um, a couple of friends who, you know, grew up in neighboring towns and their families like go way back in the town. So I was like, that'd be really cool. Like to think about what it was like back, back then, you know? And so my, my story was kind of born in that way. Well, I, I live in Minnesota and Minnesota became a state in 1858. So the, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I'm, intrigued and fascinated by the history here yeah but, but even then you know that's 200 years after you know mm-hmm. the history that you're looking into oh yeah how far back that goes it's wild like when you start looking you know out west you know how um people talk about the historic houses out in california and they're talking about houses from like the late 1800s and i'm chuckling to myself like oh the historic houses out here like that you can live in are like from the 16 and 1700s it's like yeah you know 200 years of history have passed absolutely um and i i read or at least maybe i heard in another interview you also enjoy in attending reenactments is that right i do i do i found it um a good way to do research um and i it's just fun it's fun to go um you can talk to the reenactors they're really knowledgeable, um, about their craft and the the time period. Um, and it's more like the day-to-day stuff that you don't think about that really helps in the research process because you you don't think about like, well, okay, that's just what some people wore back then, but you don't think about like all of the layers of clothes and how to wear them and, um, you know, what different pots and pans might have been called. And it's just, it's, there's so much detail um, that I find um, can really enrich a novel that you can, you can add it in, you know, um, sprinkle it in there. So it's not overwhelming, but kind of adds in the world building, makes it more real. Yeah, that's great. Uh, It just definitely a way to add nuance, um, to add little details, to get to feel what it was like to be in Mm -hmm. those clothes and uh, feel how, cumbersome it was or uncomfortable right um and and i'm sure it really helps when when writing the novel oh definitely definitely i have to ask have you seen the new show rutherford falls with ed (laughs) helms you know i haven't haven't. i've seen just the first episode but i immediately thought of that when you started talking about the history of your town oh really how did you get out what what is it on is it like Uh, a peacock the nbc okay yeah yeah, I'll have to check it out. But speaking of which, the, the the controversy in that show does deal with how we interpret our past and, and now mm-hmm. how we reinterpret our past. And I know you deal with this a little right. bit on your, your blog. Yes. Um, but can you talk about how you handle things like gender roles um, mm-hmm. and how you portray them in the novel and things like settler colonialism and the displacement of Native peoples, not just how you handle it in your novel, but how we mm-hmm. now um, revisit it today and, and well, I guess, confront it today. Yeah, that's uh, that's a really big question. Um, so I guess I'll start with um, sort of what I did in my novel, because um, it it is hard to write about that time period because you know, there was slavery and there was displacement of natives, you know, we, we stole their land. Um, and that's a really important thing to acknowledge. 
um, both now and I think in the novel. And I and I do have my character Annalisa because there there is a Native American character um, in my book who um, is uh, Wampanoag, and um, she has some interesting conversations with him about sort of some of those things um, because there you know there were Native Americans back then who did fight in the Revolutionary War. Some fought with the British and some fought with the Americans. And, um, you know, she has this insight thinking, you know, well, why would you, you know, want to fight, you know, for people who, you know, took your land. Um, so she has not a uh, conversation with, um, that character about that. And I, I wanted to portray some people in my book as being mindful, but, you know, I think the truth of the matter is a lot of people weren't mindful back then. Um, some were, and I, and I think that, you know, carrying that forward into today, it's not only being mindful, but, you know, you read a lot of, you know, well, learn better and then do better. Um, so, you know, by supporting, you know, Native brands, um, particularly, you know, um, artisans and, you know, people who are, you know, they're uh, beadwork and um, there's just so much out there that, you know, it's, it's not appropriating, you know, making sure that you're not appropriating, um, and, and just doing your due diligence as a, a, a member of humanity, um, just trying to uplift, um, and educate, I think, um, is huge. Cause I mean, I'm, I'm coming at this from the perspective of a white female. So, um, of course there is, you know, my own, upbringing, you know, um, that I, I guess clouds or, um, you know, you have to shed light on, on these issues, um, because we all have our own perspective from the way we were raised and the town that we were brought up in. And, you know, I, I didn't, there wasn't a lot of diversity in my town growing up. So when I went to college, that was, um, a lot more eye opening for me. Um, and that was way back when so I'm kind of dating myself, but, um, yeah, does that kind of answer your question? I'm not sure if I really. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, that's that's well said, and and I definitely did kind of drop a lot on you there. So <laughs> I I appreciate you thinking through that and sharing that with us. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's definitely something that that we all need to um to think about, and mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think we're all in a place where yeah, we are influenced by our present by our past um mm -hmm. but we need to be open to learning open to talking about it yeah and yeah totally. your perspective sounds um very open and and hopefully uh we can all just continue to work together and and admit that we have made mistakes and mm -hmm. and move towards a, a brighter more equal future yeah absolutely absolutely there was a um a website that I found actually that um, that showed which uh, native nations and tribes land that you were inhabiting. And I thought that was really eye opening to look at um, because, you know, where I grew up, I kind of knew like, oh, the Agawam used to live here. And, um, you know, because there's some things that are named after Agawam. Um, but, you know, you start looking into the history of the area and, you know, what nations, you know, occupied that area. I mean, it's, it's really just eye-opening. It, it's really just, it's important for us to acknowledge and, and learn about.
let's go back to when you started this. Uh, yeah. You say as a, a junior in high school, I think you said. Um, yeah. So what was that path like for you? I mean, what, first of all, what could possibly inspire a 16-year-old to start a, a story like this? Did you foresee it being a novel? And right. then what, what brought you back to it later on mm-hmm. in life? Um, like I'd said, I, I grew up in this historic area. I've always been very interested in the history of my town. Um, and when I learned that there were um, men who fought in the Revolutionary War from my town, I was like, oh my gosh, I love that. That's so cool. Um, I, I want to like learn more about that. And I was walking, um, I had like a, a route that I used to walk around um, a couple streets uh, near my house. And um, the, the streets are Perkins Row and Howlett Street. So um, I, I named my characters after those streets. Um, and I kind of just went with it. Uh, I was just kind of like, all right, um, I'm going to write a story about, you know, these characters and see where it goes. And um, it kind of didn't go anywhere. I got to like 35 pages in and I was like, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go from here. And, and then I was like, kind of, you know, starting college and, um, didn't write at all when I was in college, um, had kind of a loopy college experience. (laughs) You know, I got like my bachelor's degree and then went right into nursing school after that. And so obviously nursing school, I didn't write at all. Um, and it wasn't until after nursing school, this is like 2012, I was at my first job and I was like, oh, I wish like I should just get back into writing. I miss writing. I used to write all the time when I was in high school and, you know, college just kind of ruined that for me. So it was like finding my way back to reading and writing for pleasure, because when I was in college, I didn't read or write for pleasure at all. (laughs) So, um, yeah. And then it kind of just took lots of years of, um, getting back into the story and finding, you know, uh, I, cause I had never plotted, I never plotted this story out. Um, it kind of just came out of me, um, and then required lots of heavy editing, um, courtesy of my historical fiction critique group, um, which took a full two years for me to get the book through that group. Um, and I, cu- I ended up cutting, I think 50, 53 or 54,000 words, I think. Um, which was a huge, huge developmental edit. It was awesome. I mean, it needed to be done. And yeah, the, the book is um, is book one. Um, it's going to be book one of three. So um, yeah, that's that was kind of the, the story. Um, <laughs> it was um, a rocky path, a very long rocky path. <laughs> Certainly, and it, it sounds like you you made it through with some patience and perseverance, and, and that's definitely admirable. Yeah. Um, I mean, what was it like when you first started s- sending it out? I mean, I, I know you say you spent two years um, working on it with a, a writing group, mm-hmm. which is fantastic that that you're even able to do that. But yeah. then 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 you know, what was the rejection like? How did that feel, and and how did Gosh. you get through that? The rejection is real. <laughs> it is, um, I don't want to say it's harsh because that's, it's, it's necessary. Rejection is necessary, um, in this industry. And, um, I kind of, I, I went in with an open mind. So at, at this point, I, I, well, I think the scariest thing a writer can do is give their book up to critique. Um, and so I had already kind of put myself through two years of not getting ripped apart, but, um, by learning how to read and interpret and 
feel critique because, you know, you can get very defensive about your, your story, your characters, your, the way you write. Um, and I think that sort of prepared me for querying. Um, so I went into querying with an open mind thinking like, all right, you're going to be able to like wallpaper your house with rejection letters, just get ready for it. Um, if you find an agent, great. That's like the icing on the cake. Um, but just get, get it out there, you know? Um, and I really, I didn't query until I really thought the book was ready. Um, so, uh, yeah, I was rejected a lot. Um, and I never did find an agent actually. Um, and that was okay. Um, I found an indie publisher, um, Gen Z, they're going to be publishing my book and I am super happy I signed with them. They are wonderful to work with. Um, and I, I feel very lucky, um, and fortunate that they are giving me a chance as a, a debut author. You know, I have, I have nothing else to show for it except this book, which is a, a labor of love. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I wouldn't want to deter people from querying, um, but you have to be ready for a ton of rejection, tons of rejection. Well, congratulations. Um, just, Thank just you. hearing you talk about it, it's definitely worthy of congratulations. And when you said uh, wallpaper your house with rejection <laughs> letters, I, I caught an image of that. Like, what would that actually look like? Oh, it would be really sad. Yeah. <laughs> it would be sad. But I mean, it's it's necessary. And if you're lucky enough to get rejections that, you know, tell you why they rejected it, that's gold. That's gold. Cause you can go back and you can, you can edit, you can write new stuff. Um, you know, I think you can, you can take that as critique. So. Yeah. Great advice. And it's, I guess it's just good to know we're, we're not alone as writers. We, we all have yeah. to go through it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I want to turn to your work outside of writing. Um, yeah. I looked over your blog and there was a quite a precipitous turn in March of 2020. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I already brought up one serious to- topic and I know this is kind of serious, but you know, we're here yeah. in the, in the mid- midst yeah. of a pandemic and you're mm-hmm. on, you are on the front lines as the cliche goes, I guess. Yeah. Um, tell us a little about a bit about well, what you do and just maybe anything you want to say about what you you've been through as an ICU nurse. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Um so yeah, I am uh, by day. I'm an ICU nurse. Um, I work at a local community hospital. Um, just because it's a community hospital doesn't mean we don't have sick patients. We see lots of sick patients, um, and we were hit. Um, we were hit by COVID. Definitely, it was it was awful. Um, however, it was not nearly as bad as the hospitals in the big cities. You know, Boston, New York. I mean, they they had it way worse than we did, but we did definitely. Um, have our experience with uh, the COVID patients. Um, and it was, it was terrifying. Um, when we first started seeing COVIDs, I mean, we obviously, I mean, nobody on the planet <laughs> knew what to expect. Um, and so I, I just sort of have this, like, I had this fear every time I would go to work and, and we work uh, 12 hour shifts. So um, I would do my three twelves um, and every day I would get to go to my job, I would think, you know, is say the day I'm going to get COVID every time, you know, before you would, you would go into that patient's room. I mean, I, I would wear the, um, the called a, a papper or a capper and it's like a, a helmet with a shield and it, and it blows air down across your face. It's for patients on airborne precautions. And 
every time you you got up to go into one of those rooms, I mean, you have to make sure you have everything you're possibly going to need or might need before you go into that room. Because as soon as you go into that room, you, you can't go back out into the hallway and say, oh, I forgot my propofol, you know, um, which is sedation for intubated patients. And um, yeah, we got really good at writing backwards on the glass with the dry erase marker. Hey, I need propofol or, you know, like, I forgot this. Can you bring this in? You know, um, it, it, um, it was terrifying. Um, but I feel like through all of it, it made us all so much closer, um, as a unit. I mean, we were all pretty close anyway, but, um, God, I would, I would trust any one of my coworkers with my life. No questions asked. Um, and we all got really close. Um, and just dealing with this, I mean, we, we were all terrified. We were all, you know, having moments where we broke down and cried and, and, you know, talking about how stressful our lives at home were. And, you know, all nurses who have kids, they were homeschooling on top of, you know, coming into work and, and facing that fear every day. We had some nurses who were just staying in a hotel, so they didn't even go home to their families because they were afraid of getting their families sick. It was, it was just mind blowing. And I, I pray that none of us has to ever live through another pandemic in our lifetimes. <laughs> it's, uh, it's just been crazy. So um, when that vaccine came out, we all got it. <laughs> and um, I feel a lot safer now. Um, and I, I would not wish this virus upon anybody. I would not. That's, yeah, that's incredible. And thank you so much for sharing that. And yeah, thank you so much course. for the work that you and your coworkers do, your colleagues do. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank, thank you. It's... And thank you for everything that you share on on your blog. That you're you're brave enough to to share that with people. And and I would encourage mm -hmm. everyone to go and and take a look at that. Yeah. Do you do any? I mean, will you do any more writing about it other than what I've seen on your blog? Yeah, I I would like to. Um, definitely, definitely, because I've got some more stories to put up. <laughs> um, yeah, I kind of I got off track with the blog writing. Um, but yeah, yeah, I definitely, I, I like the idea of blogging, um, particularly with what we were doing with COVID, um, and just kind of how that's affected us. And, and it you just goes through so many emotions, um, you know, working in this field anyway, not even including COVID. And then, um, and then COVID comes along and it just flips everything on its head. <laughs> so yeah, it was a good, it was a good outlet. Um, and I, yeah, there, I will continue my blog for sure. <laughs> Did you have to step away from fiction because of that emotional draining that you went through? Yes, absolutely. Um, I, so I, um, I have a couple of, you know, work in progresses that, um, really took the backseat last year. I, I started one last February and then like COVID happened and I just, I was just so stressed and afraid and withdrawn. Um, I, I really was not present at all at home, um, especially in fiction. And I, and I thought that, you know, maybe, oh, at least I have this to escape to. I just couldn't even get in the mindset to even escape, if that makes any sense. I, I just, it was just awful. Um, I, and I'm, coming out of that, you know, on the other side, um, 
and I'm excited to get back into more writing. I, I was just basically putting my head down and editing, editing muskets and minuets like a fiend. <laughs> I was just editing it because I couldn't, I couldn't start another story. I couldn't, you know, put my head in a book and, and research, you know, I just couldn't get into it. I just couldn't. I was just too worried about, you know, what was on the news and how many people were dying every day. And I just, it's, it's unfortunate. I couldn't just shut all of that out and focus on a story. Cause I probably could have banged out a couple novels last year. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I certainly, um, a lot of people went through that and a lot of people who weren't in the, in the hospitals every day, like you, you know, had that anxiety and, and couldn't push it aside. Um, yeah. so it's just something I think we, we had to go through. Uh, so you talk about your, your next projects. I think I read that you were working on a book about the Salem witch trials. So can you tell us about mm -hmm. that? Sure. Yeah. Um, so that story was actually inspired by, um, a random date in February, um, called the Candlemas Massacre. And that's uh, what I've decided to call the novel right now. Um, and as I was researching into the Candlemas Massacre and, you know, what it was, which was um, a, a, a tribe of Abenaki with uh, the French, they attacked uh, the town of York, Maine, um, in this massacre. So we were talking about um, earlier how, you know, we've stolen Native American lands. Um, this has a, a tie into that. Um, and what I didn't know as I was doing my research, what brief research I did do is that, um, there's a couple theories out there that what happened in York, Maine, um, with the massacre sort of, um, that information trickled down to Salem, um, and sort of was, uh, somewhat responsible for the hysteria. Um, if you read through a lot of court documents from the witch trials, you hear about, you know, the girls talking about being torn apart or, you know, ripped apart. There's a lot of like bodily harm going on, uh, with, you know, what they claim that the specters are doing to them, uh, when they're being, you know, attacked. And, um, they are, there's some historians that hypothesize that, um, is from, you know, a lot of the Native American, uh, attacks on English towns. Um, so I, I kind of wanted to write about that. I thought that was a really interesting, um, story. Uh, to go on. So what are the, what kind of documents exist from them? What are you able to pull out any historical facts or is it all speculation? Um, you know, I haven't gotten that far in the research. I've, I've only gotten a couple of, um, books written by historians. I haven't pulled any of the primary sources myself. Um, I, I, this happened kind of back in February and I, I like ran with it. I got some books. I started writing, I started reading and researching and, and then COVID happened and I was, I, I really didn't get that far into the research, but I was very fascinated by what I did read. Um, so th things could change based on what I end up researching, um, in the future. But I thought that was just interesting. And I like the Salem witch trials, just it, that time fascinates me. Um, the hysteria of that. Yeah, it sounds like a great foundation for a novel, and and as a historical fiction writer, I I, I can attest that the the research sometimes does does change the plot or kind of oh, a last yeah. second like uh oh I gotta <laughs> I gotta fix this. Mm -hmm. It's so true. You find anachronisms. Oh my gosh, <laughs> it's like oops, I didn't realize that. Gotta go yeah. back fix that. It's crazy. I feel like the research can really um, halt the whole story. You know, if you get to a part where 
like, oh no, I need to, I didn't realize I needed to research this or I, I really do need to research this. Um, yeah, that yeah. was, You're... I was actually stuck for a while with Bunker Hill and muskets and minuets. That was um, a lot of research. And then writing that whole part of my book, that was huge. Um, and like, that was a big roadblock. But once I got past that, the rest of the novel kind of just fell out of me. So <laughs> Was, yeah, it's it's daunting cool. when you're you're moving along, moving along, and then I'm like, oh no, I gotta go back and I gotta Yeah. Yeah, take a break <laughs> to do more research. Yeah. It, it just really kills the momentum, you know, when you're just like, Oh, I just wanna like finish the story, but I have to get past this part. Yeah, it's <laughs> Well, from what I've heard from you, I I'm sure you will continue and, and you you'll you you will use your perseverance and, and I look forward yeah. to that story. Well, thank you. Well, I've been talking with Lindsay Farah, author of the debut historical novel, um, debut author of the historical novel, Muskets and Minuets. Uh, Lindsay, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate it so much. Mm -hmm.